Hello, and welcome to Excess Advantage, Season 3, Episode 7, EPG Review Part 4. Today's episode is going to start off with a question from the community, and then we're going to finish up our deep dive into Part 3 of the Expanded Player's Guide, talking about the two new tones that are introduced. But first, for all of our French listeners, uh, there's going to be a quick advert for you about the new uh, French side of the community that Guillaume and I are starting up. So for all of you English speakers, when you start hearing French, don't worry, the rest of the episode will be in English for you, but the French people definitely needed the shout out so they know what's going on. Bonjour à tous les francophones qui, comme moi, adorent le jeu de rôle Genesis. Je suis Guillaume Tardif et j'ai décidé de créer une communauté francophone dans laquelle vous pouvez échanger en français avec d'autres fans. La communauté est encore jeune, mais nous avons une page Facebook, MiWi, ainsi qu'un serveur Discord. Au fil du temps, de nombreuses ressources gratuites vont être disponibles en français. Recherchez Communauté JDR Genesis pour nous rejoindre. À bientôt! Today's question of the day comes from Will Kelly over on the Genesis RPG Community Facebook group. And Will asks, is there any official word on how well magic-related talents from Realms of Terranoth and the Expanded Player's Guide should be expected to work together? And the short answer is that they're not. Sam and Keith were interviewed over on the Forge podcast about the EPG, and one of the questions raised then was, are you supposed to incorporate the EPG talents into Terranoth or vice versa? And the short answer is no, you're not. They're not designed to work together. They are two separate books that fill two separate niches. Realms of Terranoth is designed to evoke the feel of Minara as a setting, which means that the talents are Minara-specific, even if they could be used for other games. So, long story short is use one or the other, not both. With that being said, I am actually working on a book called By Sword and Spell, which is a generic fantasy setting, as opposed to Terranoth, which is a very specific setting, my book that I'm currently writing and hopefully will be out soon deals with making your own setting and how to incorporate the core rulebook and um, EPG. In fact, my book specifically says that the basic assumption is that Realms of Terranoth doesn't exist. Yes, it's out there. No, you shouldn't use it. No, you shouldn't incorporate it. B because there are these specific issues. And so we're just going to go over a few of them real quick. Dark Insight and by extension Blood Sacrifice, are based off of very specific skills that might or might not exist in other game settings. Um, it's the Knowledge Forbidden. Yeah, it's a big thing in Terranoth, but not all um, fantasy games are going to have Forbidden Knowledge as an important thing to have a skill. But the main talents I think people are talking about are Chill of Nordros, Dominion of the Demora, Favor of the Fae, and Flames of Kelos, which... Basically say, whenever you cast a magic attack spell, you have to add X effect, but you can never add Y effect. Chill of Nord Nordros and Flames of Kelos are opposites of each other. Um, one always adds the fire effect, but can never add the ice, whereas um, the other one always adds ice, but you can never add fire. And then Favor of the Fey, you, you always add Manipulate, but you cannot add Impact. Whereas Dominion of the Demora is you always add Impact, but never add Manipulative. So they are very specific one or the other talents. And really, those talents have been subsumed in the, in the Elementalist talent. Choose between Fire, Ice, Impact, or Lightning. So it's not Manipulation, but it's pretty much the same thing. When you cast the attack spell, you always add the chosen effect, but you can never add any of the others. So if you wanted to expand the scope 
of Elementalist to also add Manipulative, for example, or any of the other additional effects. Um, you just need to also figure out what the Elementalist improved talent will add for those specific things because obviously only the four are taken into account in the EPG talent. Um, other talents that might or might not come into effect, like Bard or Runic Lore, which add um, verse or runes to your uh, career list and give you the um, Knowledge Lore skill. I mean, if you want to have Bards in your party, that's fine. The additional magic skills aren't really going to make or break a game. Bards are very popular in high fantasy games, so the verse skill would not go um, the verse skill would not be that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, it's just really those four that are, um, I think the, the ones that people are most concerned about. And honestly, if you're using the expanded player's guide, use the elementalist talent and pretend those don't exist. But if you're doing a Terranoth game, then pretend the elementalist talent doesn't exist. Use one or the other, and whichever one you do, you can incorporate talents from the other source, just do it on a case-by-case -case basis, figure out if it's a good idea or not, figure out if it is similar to an existing talent in the source that you're using before adding a second one. For example, if you're playing in Terranoth and you're using Realms of Terranoth, there's nothing like the teleportation talent, so you can go ahead and add that in no problem. If you're playing in a generic setting that doesn't use Realms of Terranoth but you're using the EPG, um, perhaps you want to include the Conduit talent which once per session allows you to cast a spell as a maneuver instead of an action. You know, case-by-case -case basis, there's no broad strokes, this is how you incorporate it. The broad strokes is you don't. Pretend it doesn't exist and ignore it. Each individual piece, sure, take a look and see if it works. And of course, always, always, always let your players know that we're going to try this, but if it becomes a little too break game-breaking or a little too overpowered or any other unforeseen consequences, the GM and the other players really should always reserve the right to revoke any talent that was added in from an outside source. And that really goes for anything, not just magic spells or magic talents from one or the other. If you're playing in a Realms of Terranoth game and you decide to grab some of the uh, melee-specific talents from Shadow of the Beanstalk, for example, they might have unforeseen consequences with the uh, melee talents in Realms of Terranoth, so you might want to pull the plug on those just in case. So always make sure that you're looking at each one individually and the only broad strokes advice that covers all of them is no. Anything else? Maybe. Today is going to be covering the last chapter, part three of the EPG review, New Tones. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Tones first made an appearance in the core rulebook and they are basically uh, genre-free undertones that you can add to a game session that could be in any setting. They're not setting-specific. Um, the tones that we have in the core rulebook are horror, intrigue, mystery, pulp, romance, slash drama, and superheroes. And they all have some sort of new rule that can be added to your games to further emphasize that specific tone. And the EPG follow suit, and we have two new tones that are introduced in the Expanded Player's Guide, the Heist Tone and the Noir Tone. And they can be used individually, they can be used together, uh, you can use them 
with the tones in the core rulebook. You can use them instead of, in addition to. Um, for example, the heist and superhero tone can be combined, and you've got yourself the first Ant-Man movie. Combine mystery and noir, and all of a sudden you have the Maltese Falcon. Things like that. But the heist tone is anything about thievery, looting, stealing, um, whether it's leverage and you're, uh, let's go steal us an island, or you're more of a fantasy group of adventurers who are plundering uh, an ancient tomb. Doesn't matter. The whole point of a heist is that you're trying to steal something from someone else. Um, the heist tone is kind of a staple of many role-playing games. Like I said earlier, you have uh, fantasy characters who are plundering an ancient tomb. You have modern-day or sci-fi uh, characters who are stealing from one megacorp to give to another. You have um, a space opera long time ago uh, war story where you're trying to find and steal the plans to the latest super weapon that the evil galactic empire is assembling. Heists are literally everywhere, and I'm sure that everybody has played in at least a few heist sessions, if not heist-specific games. And so this tone basically is designed to give you a little bit more information and structure to creating a heist for your game, whether you're using it as a one-off and it's just, oh, hey, I want my characters to have to steal something, whether this is just a one-off and the GM wants the player characters to have to go steal something for just this one scenario, or it's a heist-themed game because you're trying to recreate leverage, or I'm trying to think white-collar, uh, burn notice has this um, kind of feel to it. It just gives some pretty great examples, and um, just like with the uh, mystery tone found in the core rulebook, it also gives you kind of a step-by-step -step of how heists go. So it gives you the, um, the steps of a heist. You plan the job, you do the legwork, uh, you pull the trigger, which is where the rubber meets the road, and you actually do the thing. Uh, then you have to try to get away with it. Whether or not you get away with it is kind of interesting that it's a separate step because you've done it. Okay, congratulations. Now, do they know that you did it and they're after you or are they perplexed and they have no idea what's going on? Do you let them know that you did it and you're like, hey, we did this thing. You owe us to not tell people or what is the fallout from that heist? And the new uh, rules element that they give you is a new rule called heat. And heat is just a measure of um, how much negative attention you're getting from the uh, local constabulary, whether it is just the town watch or it's local police force or Interpol slash the FBI or the space rangers or whatever it happens to be. But it's, it's pretty simple. It's a new take on spending despair. Every time your character generates a despair on a skill check, the GM can bank that as a point of heat. So instead of spending it now and having the detriment affect the character immediately, you're like, okay, you did the thing, and now there's going to be negative consequences later on. And I think a lot of GMs have been kind of doing this anyway, banking the despairs and saying something bad will happen, but you'll see in a, in, in a scene or two. But this is uh, codifying it so everyone is on the same page and knows exactly how it's um, going to work. And so 
once you have generated one or more heat, um, the GM can spend that heat at any time to do pretty much anything. There are a few examples given, and most of them are geared more toward a modern day setting. But one heat, two cops in a squad car cruise by to check for suspicious behavior, or the character's credit card gets flagged for suspicious activity. So nothing that's going to take a character out of the running, but it kind of makes lets them know that the uh, police force is on their tail, that um, people are starting to take notice. Uh, spend two heat, and a private detective starts asking questions, or someone sends their character an oblique message. Three heat, cops are actively looking for the PCs, bank accounts are frozen, or someone sends the PCs a more direct and possibly violent message. Four heat is there's a warrant out for your character's arrest, bounty hunters are hired, loved ones kidnapped, someone tries to kill them by blowing up their car. And for five heat, the feds are called in. A corporate assassin team is on the character's trail, all the character's assets are seized, or the character's face and name are plastered all over the media. So it's a... Like I said, it's what a lot of people have already been doing in some form or fashion. It's just more uh, codified. And you can easily take this heat mechanic and apply it to say, a post-apocalyptic zombie survival game that every time a character generates a despair, uh, it gets banked. It's not heat, but maybe undead attention. And then the more heat you spend determines um, what type of undead and or how big the group is. Or if you are in a, a Wild West setting, you could use heat pretty much as is, you're doing all this uh, outlaw goodness, and then as you do more nasty things, bad things more frequently, you're bound to generate more despair. And therefore, the the Texas Rangers or equivalent are going to show up sometime when you when you least expect it. So just because it is called heat and it's in the heist tone doesn't mean that you can't apply it to other settings and tweak the the heat spends for slightly different things. And the second tone that is added is noir. I personally have very little um, experience with film noir. Basically, the only thing I know about film noir I learned on on the holodeck episodes of Star Trek. So probably not the best way to do it. And there was also the um, episode of Stargate Atlantis uh, final season. I think it was the second to last episode, third to last episode. But... You know, so I, I really don't know exactly how noir works, but um, it gives you some good tips on what themes and common elements you have, what you would expect when running noir themed games. You know, the the first thing that they talk about is make sure you set up the atmosphere. The nights are always darker than usual. The weather is always dreary and misty. Um, if there is light, it's dramatic and highlights specific characters or elements vital to the story. The bad parts of town are really bad. The well-to-do are really good, you know, that whole extreme dichotomy that apparently Noir is very famous for. But the new rule that it provides is kind of fun. That honestly could be, again, like almost all tones can be added to any different uh, game session. If you're doing a Star Trek holodeck style episode where you have an adventure that takes place in a Noir-themed backdrop, you can totally throw this in. Or if you just want to encourage your players to um, get more into their characters' heads, the internal monologue is great. It just basically says, once per encounter, a player narrates their PC's internal monologue to reveal to the GM and the group what their PC is currently thinking, what their plan of action is, 
and why they're thinking that way. And if you do, they heal three strain. So it's um, it's definitely very uh, carrot and pretty much zero stick because it not only allows the other players and the GM to know what your character's thoughts and motivations are, but it also encourages the player to get to understand it a little better and talk things out. And I know I do this frequently when I'm gaming because I want to make sure that um, the reasons for my character's actions make sense. And sometimes I'll even ask their players, hey, this is what my character is thinking, or rather this is what I'm thinking that my character would do and this is why. Does that make sense? And with this internal monologue rule, all of those times would just throw in uh, three strain for a character to heal. You know, it's, it's not game-breaking. And if you have um, a fantasy game where you have a lot of magic users, you might want to charge a story point instead of just doing it for free because uh, strain is a little bit more of is a little bit more powerful when you have people using magic all the time. So again, kind of tweak as needed, and that's kind of a, a general rule of thumb for all tones is you know go ahead and try it out, see what you like. You know, do a one shot of it. It doesn't even have to be a, a different game setting or anything. Just, okay, this adventure, we are trying to steal something. So we're going to do heist. Oh, this game is, we're, we're undercover and pretending to be um, mob bosses. So we're going to use the, 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 the noir tone. And so just try it out, see how it works and tweak to uh, tweak it to fit your game and your players. And that's really good advice for dang near everything. And those are all of the expanded alternate rules found in the Expanded Player's Guide. When we revisit the EPG next time, we're going to start with Part 1, New Settings, or potentially Part 2, Expanded Rules Creation, because that has the vehicle stuff and the adversary creation, which I think is a little bit more fun um, for me as a GM and because I love vehicles. So we're going to do that. Uh, next episode, we're going to do a deeper dive into Part 2, Chapter 1, Vehicle Creation. Until then... Regardless of success or failure of your role, always check for excess advantage. This has been Excess Advantage. The intro and outro music is Take a Chance by Kevin Cloud from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating or review where you find your podcast, as it helps others find us. If you'd like to donate to help support the podcast, please visit ko-fi.com forward slash excess advantage.